my girl, Sex with Emily, aka Emily Morse, is back. And today, as always, she's helping us spice up our sex lives. Now, in case you don't know who Emily Morse is, my girl actually impacts millions of people's sex lives and is igniting all kinds of pleasure around the globe. Now, when it comes to sexuality and relationships, Emily is a freaking powerhouse and literally the woman to pay attention to. She helps not just you guys, but me also embrace desire, pleasure, and taps into our inner sexuality and our seductiveness, if you will. Now, this two-part episode, guys, is just what you need from the fiery queen of intimacy herself to give us the tools and tips that we need to have a thriving, hot, electrifying relationship with our partner. So, in saying all of that, let's just dive in right now with my girl, Sex with Emily, Emily Moores. But before we do, guys, I've got to talk to you about the freaking badass content that Women of Impact is now putting out. If you want to elevate and get even more freaking badass than you already are, homie, go check out Women of Extra Impact subscription on Apple Podcasts. You can listen with zero ads, so that saves you the time, and it gives you access to exclusive curated playlists on essential topics like health, confidence, business, and relationships, or like today's episode, sex. So just go over, subscribe, and get your first week at apple.co slash womenofimpact. That's apple.co slash womenofimpact to get your extra badass dose of impact. 95% of men orgasm when they have sex, and usually it can take them five minutes. Mm -hmm. With women, it's 65% of women only Mm -hmm. have orgasms, and it usually takes us around 18 minutes to orgasm. So. Help us explain why. Okay, let's talk about the orgasm gap for a minute. There is a huge disparity in our pleasure when it comes to sex. Typically, men are going to orgasm between, yeah, like let's say five to 10 minutes every time. Women between 18 and 40 40 minutes. So, hello, there's a gap. That's the first part of the gap. The second part of the gap is, yeah, men are going to orgasm most of the time. That's not a problem. I never hear from men saying I can't orgasm during sex. I hear it from women every single day for almost two decades. But the problem is so many women feel, they feel bad about themselves. They feel discouraged. They feel like something's wrong with them. But I just want to normalize it and say, this is what happens. It is a gap and we have to close that orgasm gap. And it's like, dudes, you're going to get there. She comes first. Make sure that she gets there. Do what you need to do. Do the foreplay. Do the arousal. Find out what turns her on. And if you don't know what turns her on, and she doesn't know what turns her on. Well, that's why I wrote this book. I mean, literally, like, I have all these steps. Most of us don't know. Most of us don't know there's a gap. And then we're like, oh, we might know there's a problem and we're not going to turn on. But we don't know why. All right. So today I want to close the gap. Firstly, though, explain to me. It was, what do you say, like 85% of women in gay relationships, yep. though, come. What the hell is going on there, girl? They know the parts. They know the parts. They name the parts. You're with somebody who knows exactly. They know the plumbing. (laughs) They know the system. They know what's going on. There's no mystery. They can take the time. They can take 20 minutes. They know exactly how it works. They communicate about it. They prioritize orgasms. They prioritize pleasure. So that's what's going on there. That's that those are the, we can learn a lot from same sex women. So is it literally then do you just, do you just know it because you know yourself? I think it's both. I think you know yourself. You're like, okay, this looks familiar. And you know that it's important. And you also know, because here's the other thing. This is not that easy. It's not so... 
you might know one vagina or one vulva, but the other, like, we're all really, really different. So I think in lesbian couples, they probably talk about it a lot. And they say, well, I know that this might take you 20 minutes, but what I need is different maybe than what you need. But there's probably less shame around it. There's less educating around it. And there's like, let's both have pleasure. We both deserve an equal opportunity. The problem that's happening in heterosexual relationships is because this information is still shrouded in mystery. We don't really know it. There's a lot of women who are like, I don't know why I'm not having an orgasm. Maybe I should just fake it. Something's wrong with me. You know this. You talk about this all the time. Women assume that it's our fault. We take responsibility for it. But no, I'm here to say like, not your fault. Figure out what you need to please you. But again, in same-sex relationships, they know. They're like, we're not going to fake anything here. We're both going to get ours. Mm, I love that. So you say shame though. Um, Do men not necessarily have as much shame around sex than women? Men have shame. Men and women have shame, but they have different kinds of shame. So <clears throat> where they're similar is we, a lot of us have shame around our body parts. We have shame for men. They might be shameful that they don't like their penis. They don't like the size. They don't like the shape. They think it should be different. They look at porn and they're like, mine doesn't look like that. It doesn't operate that. There's something wrong with me. For women, we shame about the same thing. We shame our body parts, our body size. We feel that it should look differently. We're not happy. And here's the other thing about shame. It just takes one person maybe shaming you directly and you never get over it. I hear from men all the time. I hear from women. In high school, someone said something to me about my vagina and now I forever feel I'm 40 years old and I'm still hating my body parts. So remember that you can't let anyone else take that away from you because what happens is when we are walking around feeling shame, like we don't want to get naked. We want the lights off. We're not letting ourselves have pleasure because one person said something. So that's why confidence is a really great antidote to all of this shame and working towards you know, loving your, liking your body, but if it's not loving your body. So dude, the confidence thing is really important. I'd love to kind of break down like also the difference. Cause I kind of think of guys as like, do they really have confidence issues? Like, ah, they do. And look, I don't want to dismiss that, right? Like, cause again, I think what, one of the problems is I kind of think of guys maybe think like us women and vice versa, but of course they don't. But when I think about that piece of the shame, like, um, for women, I would you would you agree? Because I don't want to assume, but it feels like it's a lot more psychological than men. Men have a lot of psychological shame too and worry. They really, really do. You know, listen, I feel bad for men because it, my heart goes out to men because men have all the. Pri- We're talking about mainly heterosexual relationships yes, here, but, but men. They have to like show up. This is their note. They got to make the move. They got to ask the person out. Then they got to make the move. And they're supposed to know everything about a woman's body and what feels good. Like they're in charge. They're the man. They often don't know. I mean, the vagina is like the Rubik's Cube of life. Like literally every single one is different. How are they supposed to know how to unpack this one? Like they don't know. So then they get in their heads and this would be a great lover and she's not orgasming. My last partner wanted this move. This partner doesn't want it. So like what the hell am I supposed to do? And so there is a lot of, and then there's a lot of shame around that because they're supposed to know. Mm. And then there's shame about their body parts, there's shame about their bodies. You know, men have so, it's just as many insecurities about their bodies as women do. But I think that we don't talk about it enough. They're not maybe as in touch with it as much. Mm. They overcompensate with other things. Mm. But for women, we're like out to lunch with our friends. We're like, I don't like my body. My left boob is bigger than my right boob. Like we talk about it. We normalize it. But I think that like shame is equal opportunity. 
Dude, I never thought about that, that women do talk about it. But we men, do. I want the men don't. He's not going, oh, God, I had too much dessert last night. My jeans aren't buttoned. You're like, whatever. Guys don't say that. Or my penis. He's not going to sit down and saying. go, you know, this one woman at prom told me that I, you know, now I'm 30 years old, but at prom, this woman said she didn't like my penis. Dude, I'm feeling really bad today. Like, guys just don't have those conversations. So I, But women do. Yeah, like, I, I would tell you, I'd be like, I'm feeling it. And then you'd be like, girl, you're great. <laughs> like, you cheer me up. But we would talk about it. Wow. So they're, they're toiling on their own. I'm always trying to be devil's advocate and think about both sides of it. And so I think that I, I'm actually going to give men a bit more credit now. I feel really bad because I do think porn sets a lot of us up for failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically men, it's the one thing that I hear a lot where men are always talking about their size. And so let me, let's actually just talk about that because at least for me, it doesn't really matter. It's like, okay, you're shaking your head. Yeah. It only matters the penis size we're talking about. Yeah. Let me tell you about this. Men are way more obsessed with their penises than women are. And I hope that there's a huge collective sigh of relief right now. Like, I hope that men around the world watching your show just went, huh, thank God. They're obsessed with it. The size, it's all about the size. But the majority of women are like, listen, that's not even how I'm going to orgasm. That's not even how I'm going to most pleasure. My pleasure has zero to do with your penis. It has everything to do with your fingers or your mouth or you being kind or nice or dirty talking or listening to what I want and pleasing me. But like your penis is like an afterthought. And again, not for every single one, but for the majority of it, like if men spend more time focusing on what can I do to really turn her on and less on what's wrong with my penis, there'd be a lot more pleasure in the world. Mm. And I think also the other side of things, yes. right? if women didn't worry about like, oh my God, am I, my thighs too big? He's not thinking about your thighs. He is, he's in naked with you in the bedroom. He's the last thing he's thinking about is your thighs. I'm telling you, they're not, not, neither one of us are sitting here nitpicking and looking at our partners and because the sexiest thing in the bedroom is somebody who is confident. Mm. But, but the confidence is not a fake bravado confident. The confidence comes from inside. The confidence comes from knowing my worth, knowing my body, knowing what feels good because I've done the work on myself to understand my own body and like what feels good and then having like less shame to talk about it with a partner. But a lot of us just never even get to that point. And so we just are, we're in the bedrooms. We're both really wildly insecure. We're faking pleasure, faking orgasm. So we're not genuinely connecting in a real way. Dude, this is so strong. So if we think that confidence is like the number one thing that people want, I did a poll before you came here. What do you think was the number one thing that people want to know about? Um, how do you more confident? Was that it? How really? do you bring more confidence in the bedroom? Huh. So here, I'm we, like, is that it? <laughs> but, but right. So here we are. This is the number one most important thing. And yet this is the number one thing that people need and don't have. Oh my God. Let's. That's, so that's why, like, this is why I really wanted to talk about the female male thing, because even just something like that, where it's like, oh, men don't have the confidence because they're so worried about the size. Women don't care. Women don't have the confidence because we're so worried about the size of our hips or our shape of our boobs or are they hanging too low or anything? Men don't care. Nope. So now when we go, hang on, the most important thing that we need is a thing that we don't have. And this is why, because we're in our own heads. Mm-hmm. It's so true. We are in our heads and we're in our heads during sex. The blood flow, first of all, orgasm, pleasure, arousal, it's all about blood flow. That means the head, the blood is like rushing to our heads away from our genitals. Like whenever we're having these disruptive thoughts during sex, it is not serving us at all. And and here's the thing I want to say about confidence is that confidence isn't what people think either. Like, let me tell you what people think that confidence is how many people you've slept with, how often you've had sex. 
you know, maybe how much porn you watched. Maybe it's, um, I, I think a lot of people think it's how many parties you've, you've had and, 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 and like if your partner has an orgasm and all that. But that is zero to do with confidence in the bedroom. Confidence in the bedroom comes from knowing your own body and your own self-worth and then being able to pay attention when with your new partner and paying attention, asking them questions, what feels good. But you both have to be pretty self-evolved and self-aware to have like a confident couple mm. for sure. And, and even what you were saying, let's think through that. So if we think that the most confident people are the ones that have slept with the most, the truth is it may be it's the opposite. They're over trying, they're trying to overcompensate. Exactly. For lack of confidence. I gotta tell you, I'm someone who's been out there. I've had to, you know, do my research. I've been with the guy who's the stud. He slept with all these women and that's why he's attractive. And I gotta say, and this is, you know, probably not the best lovers in the world because they're not as attentive. They're not as, they're not as focused. They're not maybe have some of the emotional intelligence that's really, really important for having better sex because maybe they have the, bravado or they have the look. So they have whatever it is it's been driving. They've got the pickup lines. They've got that big personality slash personality disorder that's allowed them to maybe mm-hmm. conquer a lot of women. And I would say that sometimes those lovers aren't the most mindful, the most careful, the most present, the most attuned. And great sex is about attunement, embodiment, mm-hmm. being in our bodies, being present. And a lot of those guys just pounding away to jackhammer and getting like a jackhammer, getting another notch on their bedpost. Mm, yeah, so true. And in your book, I think you call it, um, I think, I believe it's referring to masturbation as like get your PhD, which I love that you say that. Yeah. And as I was thinking through, I was like, oh, I think that that's also another place where we're maybe we get tripped up, where if I can be honest, and I always want yes. you to correct me, if I start generalizing, please help keep me yes. sober. But like, I just always think, oh, guys have been masturbating since the day that they could move their yes. wrist in that that way, right? <laughs> yeah. And women sometimes have to like watch an episode of Women of Impact and watch you on to go, oh, maybe I need to masturbate, right? So it's kind of like when you're maybe having sex with somebody, the guy does join with a PhD and you join as like a fifth grader. Yeah, exactly. So you want to talk about make me feel less confident, right? Mm-hmm. When you walk into the room or into the bedroom with somebody that's way more experienced with you uh, than you, even if you bring some confidence, I can actually see how you lose some confidence in that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I can't tell you how important masturbation is for your overall sexual health and wellness. We we're talking about shame earlier. A lot of people grew up in environments where it wasn't okay to masturbate. They were told that it's like shameful, it's wrong. People sort of bring that with them throughout their lifetime and they think, well, or, or they have all these, these, all these, um, judgments around masturbation. They say like, oh, well, if I masturbate, it means I'm cheating on my partner. They just make all these assessments around it. And it's untrue. In fact, masturbation is a huge part of being sexually healthy and sexually well. It is literally how we're going to feel more in touch with our bodies. How is my partner going to know how to please me if I haven't spent the time learning my body? What feel good? Taking what feels good. Taking a mirror and looking between my legs. And if you want to talk about the differences between men and women, and I know you do, because in many ways we're the same. But in this way, men typically masturbate way more often than women do. And I do have to remind them, and I do have to like you know say like sex begets sex. So the more we are giving ourselves pleasure and orgasm, it's going to help with our desire. It's going to help us understand our bodies. It's going to help with sex education, so we can communicate. So yeah, masturbation is a huge part of being sexually healthy and sexually well. Okay, I love that. I got a hard question for you, guys. Yes, is it typically 
women that feel like their partners are cheating on them if they masturbate. Because I yeah. do have some friends that perceive if their partner watches porn, it means they're cheating on yes. them. Or it means that they're not sexually interested in them. Mm-hmm. But I've only ever heard women say this. I've never heard of a guy saying, well, if my woman watches porn, watches porn then it means she's not into me. I would say that it's typically more women who think that if their male partner is watching porn, it is cheating than men. What I do hear from men saying is like, why is she masturbating and not telling me or keeping it secret from me? I have heard that because they're like, well, she doesn't want to have sex with me as much or whatever it is. I think that there's just a way that we sort of equate masturbation with a violation and the sanctity of commitment. You know, again, I think that porn has a place in, in erotic, it has a place in our sex lives, but we just need to find the kind that speaks to us. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with highs as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about. That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. And how do you, thank you for that. And how do you talk through any type of jealousy when it comes to porn in a relationship? I think that the first thing is, is that you have to really just, first off, have an open conversation about sex with your partner 
often. I have something in my book called, I give a lot of tips for couples because I know how hard it is for couples to talk. I mean, Lisa, most couples in relationships do not talk about sex ever. Like maybe they talk about the fact like, hey, babe, we haven't had sex in a while or we get have sex tonight, but they don't get into like what sex feels good to us. How often should we have sex? When should we have sex? Or even about porn. Like, what do you think about my porn watching? Would you want to watch porn together? Should we watch porn? Like there's just all these conversations that really do not happen. So the best way to talk about it is just to say, our intimate life is so important to me. And I hope that you share that you would have a growth mindset around sex and <laughs> I have a growth mindset around sex you know, we're going to continue to learn and grow together. So is this something that you'd be interested in? Let's talk about our sex life. And then once you do that, you can talk about porn. You were asking about masturbation, right? How do you talk about masturbation? So I think, well, first off, please have these conversations before you walk down the aisle with someone and commit to them for the rest of your life. Because when we bring up sex to our partner, whether it's masturbation or porn or what we want in bed, we typically go into fight or flight because we're not used to it. So you have to say to your partner, I realize we've never talked about sex. I want you to know that I'm not asking you in a way. I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm not mad at you. I'm not angry. I really want to, again, be the best lovers to each other that we can be. So would you be open to having healthy conversations around sex? When you are having sex with someone, I hope... I have a growth mindset around sex and I want to continue to talk about sex. Are you into that? Mm. See what they say about that. Hopefully they're cool with it. And then you could say, well, let's talk about masturbation. I'm a huge fan of masturbation. Tell me about your masturbation practices. And again, you can tell a lot by these questions. And if your person says, oh God, why are you asking me that? Or mm. I don't do it. Well, then you have to like either just decide and say like, I'm a, you probably will have to do a lot of coercing and let not coercing, but comforting and letting them know these conversations should be very like, non-judgmental, curious, open, loving, supportive, and just have a conversation. And it's not a one-time conversation. It has to be ongoing. But learn these things about somebody early on. Mm -hmm. Because if you find out that they're like, why are you asking me that? Porn is wrong. Masturbation is wrong. Well, then you get to decide, is this the person that you want to be with? That's what literally I was going to say. If someone has that judgment, so A, your instinct is to retreat, right? Because no one wants to feel judged by it, especially with something that is so intimate and so vulnerable. So I, I would guess that a lot of people typically would then just shut down and go, okay, I shouldn't say anything. Yeah, typically that's what happens. People shut down and they're like, well, I'm not going to answer this truthfully. I'm not going to answer this honestly. I'm going to, you know, I no one's ever asked me this before because what we're talking about is very revolutionary. Even in 2023, to say to your partner, let's talk about our sex life. Let's have a state of the union about our sex life and our relationship. Like, let's talk about it. But I'm telling you, after almost two decades of doing this work, this is the problem. The problem is that we're not talking about it. The problem is that we go into fight or flight and we get defensive. So, I mean, I think the change can start here. The change can start today. And having this conversation, I promise you that once you start to talk about it, it will have less shame around it. It will feel less stressful and scary and you'll have less insecurities around it and it gets more comfortable and then it'll be become fun. It'll be the thing that you're actually looking forward to talking about with your partner once you get past these hurdles of fear and 
trauma and shame and everything that comes wrapped up in sex. Yeah. Well, let's talk about then things like fantasies and fetish, fetishes, because again, I think that I, I'm, I keep projecting, but I'm really just speaking for myself. Growing up, it was definitely, there was so much shame around any fantasy or fetish that may, maybe I had. And then it's like, you just hold on to it because you're like, well, if I say this out loud, what if someone uses it against me? What if I get judged? What if I get belittled? And so you end up not speaking up or saying anything. And that's what led me to, in preparation for this episode, I really did just go on Google and I was like, what are the questions people are asking? What are all the things that people are too ashamed or too embarrassed to ask? So first of all, so let's talk about porn. Let's keep going down this area for a minute. Um, a, um, women do sometimes get threatened by porn. Yes. So, um, mm-hmm. but I don't think of men getting threatened by porn. Not as much. They don't get threatened by porn as much. They do not. I would Why say is that, that is true. I think that if their female partner's watching porn, just regular porn, they're probably like, okay, great. That gives me permission too. And maybe we can watch together and find some things that turn us on. So I think that if you're in a comfortable relationship where you guys talk about everything, then I think that you'll feel that, you know, it's, it's okay. You're like, I'm just happy that you're getting off or that you're turned on. And I think that men, but I think it's less, it's less common, yeah, for men to get upset about it. And I just think that they're happy that their partner's pleasing themselves. So yeah, I think that there's, there's less conversation around that because again, the porn that we're talking about is made by men for men. Yeah. And when I, last time I actually had you on, you were like, oh, and they do audio porn. I was like, oh, what's uh, audio porn? Well, that's porn? the porn that's like, so there's, there's mm-hmm. audio porn, there's audio erotica. There's a few companies like Quinn and there's, uh, one called Dipsy. There's also porn like Balesa that's literally made from the female gaze and meaning it's porn with a plot. <laughs> yeah. There's like, it's, there's porn with a plot. There's, there's, um, you know how he met, you know how she met the ski instructor before sleeping with him. Yeah. They I, rode I, the chairlift together. <laughs> there's real body types, like all different body types. Yeah, I love it. There's all different types. Oh. There's all different things. So we feel more welcome into porn, but they call it ethical porn, which isn't very sexy, but that's actually what it's called. And I've got a bunch, I've actually wrote a smart sex resource guide on my website that goes along with the book that's listing all that lists at the end of the book too. We list all the places you can go for porn that's going to make you feel aroused and turned on because erotica and porn has a place. Mm. Listen, our brain is the largest sex organ. We need our brain to be stimulated and turned on by sex, especially to override a lot of the negative conditioning. But since we don't know where to find inspiration because of what we see Mm. in the regular porn that you are Googling isn't doing it for you. Yeah. It's too aggressive. It's not, you don't see your body type. It makes you feel worse. So it's an emerging field. Uh, it's emergent now to have more stuff that's made for women by women, but it's harder to find and you have to know about it. Still, I love that we're doing it. And in discussing this openly with my husband was when I was just like, no, babe, I need some story. Like, I need to see him dress as the fireman. Yes, exactly. I need him to get the hose. <laughs> right. The whole thing. Like, what do you have for breakfast? Like, give me a little bit. We might have to be watching it all day. Like, what were his family issues? What, what, what challenges did he overcome? I want to know. I want to ask you about my day. There's a dialogue. And then then they could go to the banging, but otherwise, but, but it was freeing, right? It's freeing to then be honest with your partner to say, this is the type of thing that I like, and then just completely own it. Exactly. Your partner wants to please you. Listen, if you're in the right relationship and what a great way to find that you are, or you aren't, 
Assume that your partner wants to be an incredible lover to you. Assume that your partner wants to know how to push all of your buttons and to find all the ways that they turn you on. Can't we just give them the benefit of the doubt? Mm. That And maybe if you do find your partner watching porn and it makes you feel bad, you know, I guess we're saying that women kind of sometimes feel that more than men, then maybe you can just get curious, do a little bit more investigating, ask them about it, maybe find something that you both like. It doesn't have to be the end of the relationship or it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to blow up. If we, have, if we had more of an understanding about our own arousal styles and our own desire and what turns us on, we'd have a lot less strife around sex. And then how much, I think is a big deal as well, in the sense of, I could watch poor maybe once every couple of weeks, I'm yeah. good. Yeah. But like, some men I know, it's like two times a day, you know, or just, and so even just the, the cadence, I think is important to discuss because mm-hmm. I believe you said I've got it written down. You said around two hours per week is about average and anything more than that, maybe it starts to get a little troublesome. Yeah. You know, here's the thing about trouble, trouble with porn. You know when it's a problem. And I'll still tell you if this sounds familiar. So like, let's say you're watching so much porn. Like it, when there's a consequence, you're watching so much porn that you no longer can get turned on by your partner. You're watching so much porn that every time you're watching, but this is how you know it's too much porn. And when you're watching so much porn that you have to keep escalating the kind of scenes you're watching so they become even more intense and maybe more aggressive that you don't even feel that good about it but you're like you know now I'm watching threesomes and then I'm watching gangbangs and they're really violent but they don't make me feel good but they kind of but I have to do it so the escalation becomes worrisome maybe you have to have porn on every time you're having sex maybe you're watching porn so much you can't get to work anymore like you're like late for work when there is a consequence to your porn watching there might be there's probably a problem there and what about the desensitization? Is that like really a thing? That is really a thing where you become desensitized to the porn or to a to, to a actual unit. yeah to actual sex because you're like oh well this is just normal sex it's that's nothing real. what I just saw online yeah it does so that's when you know there's a problem when you're like literally real sex does nothing for you because you're so used to the combination of the audio the video the watching of something that's so aggressive that not even your porn with someone even someone you or not even sex with someone you mm-hmm. love is turning you on and is doing the same thing that, that, that it used to. And so you can become desensitized to actual sex. You can kind of convince yourself that it's not, um, it's not as good, not as satisfying. It's easier. Think about it. Porn's like a quick fix. You know, you're going to get off. You know, it's a sure thing. You can roll over, go to bed. You don't have to talk to anybody. You don't have to give back to anybody. Then also social interaction becomes a lot harder. There is a sex recession. I mean, the media loves writing about it. They love sex in the headlines. But there is, there have been studies and there have been some truth to the fact that especially younger people are having less sex right now. Mm. There's a lot of reasons there, you know, that they're suggesting, you know, screen time, COVID set a lot of people back from being being social and being out there in the world. Everything's available on our phones. I mean, I think all of that is true. You know, but I really would love to bring back some good old fashioned like connection, meeting people in person, you know, figuring out how to be sexual again. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, you ready for some more? So, um, the one of the top Google questions, number, number one is where is the G spot? Which makes me think that, oh, men do want to pl- pleasure women. Yeah, so they, they actually do. want to know where the G spot uh-huh. is. So I was like, good on you, dudes. Yeah, they do. They absolutely do. So the G spot, just so you know, for years, people like the G spot doesn't exist or it's not a real orgasm or it does exist. I mean, it doesn't, people, for so many years, female anatomy has been de- understudied and completely debated. 
And all I want to say is, yes, there is a G spot. I call it the G area because it's not necessarily a particular spot. Plus, it was invented to stand up for this guy, Grafenberg, and he did not have a G spot. <laughs> Leave it to a man to name the G spot in a woman and whatever. But the G spot is essentially the internal clitoral nerve endings. So the clitoris isn't just a little bud, if you don't, maybe you do know or you don't know, isn't just that bud that's outside the vaginal opening, um, the little bud on top. It actually has legs that extend deep inside behind the labia and right there about an inch, to, an inch and a half to two inches inside the vaginal opening up towards the, the, be- the belly button is an area. And that area, when stimulated, can feel incredible. Now, to have a G-spot orgasm, it helps to have a clitoral orgasm first mm. and to already be aroused because we're, it's all, orgasm is all about blood flow and it's all about, you know, kind of the stimulus. So you're sort of thinking about that getting revved up. You're getting already turned on and then you'll feel like an area when you're looking for the G-spot with this come hither motion with your finger to towards the belly button, you start to feel a little rough area, kind of like a peach pit and you apply pressure to that area for maximum stimulation. Everybody rewind that again and again and again and play it for your, for your guy or for your partner because you just explained it so perfectly. So if people are reading, and I'm just going to say men just for ease here, but obviously it's never going to be just men. But if men are looking for how do I, you know, find the G spot for my woman, they actually want to please you. Yes. So now as women, if we always revert to faking it because we're uncomfortable, we're insecure, we're now speaking different languages. Mm-hmm. So that's why, again, I really want to do this episode and go about, about how we think differently because that was so enlightening because I think that for me, again, just going to go back to me, yeah. in me faking it, I was doing such a disservice to the guy because he thought... He found it. He right. thought he was pleasing me. And now he's not going to go learn. And to be honest, I probably did a disservice then for the next woman that was to follow exactly. me. Exactly. That's exactly it, Lisa. We are doing a disservice not only to yourself. You're robbing yourself of pleasure. You're robbing yourself of sexual growth, of understanding your body. But then your partner's going, I'm the king of the universe. I can make every woman <laughs> orgasm. And yeah, it's a disservice. But not only that, we just... So that's part of it. And I was a faker too for many, many years. And in fact, this is one of the reasons why I got into this career because I was like, I do not want to live a life of faking it. I assumed that if my partner had an orgasm and I faked it, like it was a good time because it was more about, his, I prioritized his pleasure over my own. So I had to really do the work. Going back to masturbation, I figured out my most valuable sex information about myself by letting my fingers, a vibrator, figure it all out. Like that's what I had to do. And then when we talk about intimacy and connecting to a partner and what makes great sex and what makes great confidence is because I now know how to please myself. So when my partner's trying to figure it out, right, the different combinations of the Rubik's Cube, I can be like, thanks for trying. You seem really enthusiastic here. Let me show you what I've learned. And a partner who doesn't have ego around it and just has wants to please you is going to be like, cool, thank God, phew, I don't have to fumble around because you know when you've done the work. So a lot of us don't know and it doesn't surprise you that people are, are Googling like G-spot because we just literally, I mean, let me tell you about that. There's a G-spot, then there's a clitoris and the clitoris in the writing of this book. For years, we've all been saying the clitoris is 8,000 nerve endings. The clitoris is 8,000 nerve endings. It is the only sexual organ that exists for pleasure. 
Come to find out, in the middle of the book, there is a New York Times headline that says it has 12,000 nerve endings. Because they just did study. We found 4,000 more nerve endings. A circumcised penis has 4,000 nerve endings. Some would say that the G area is actually clitoral nerve, internal clitoral nerves that sort of come to the head at a spot. So it's all related. It looks different on everybody. So... Do some work. Figure it out. Have some fun with it. And stop faking it, right? Because we're just doing it. everyone at Please do not fake it. I faked it for so many years. Listen, and if you're faking it, I think that it's also okay. Because I, I, I always get questions from people like, what do I do? We might have talked about this. And someone said, mm-hmm. maybe someone emailed or called. But like, what do you do if you have been faking it all this time? And how do you handle it? And I think first off, just letting yourself know that it's okay, having compassion to yourself. And then you could also say to a partner, you know, I really wanted to orgasm and I feel like I've been getting close to it, but I want to have a different kind of orgasm. I want it to be more collaborative. I'm thinking we could learn together. Like, let's slow it down. Let's learn our bodies. I mean, you could say you were faking it. You could say you did. You learned that it was a different way. I'm just trying to tell That's what literally I was going to ask you, Emily. So let's, let's play no bullshit. You've been in a relationship, let's say for, I'm not even going to say a long time. Let's say three years. And you've just been faking it. Let's say you've been insecure. You weren't confident yet. You've listened to You didn't episode, think you could. Yeah. You didn't think you could. Yeah, like all the things that we've spoken about. And now you're like, okay, I understand why I can't fake it anymore. How do you approach that? Like, in all honesty, how do you approach it? Do you think it's a good idea to say, look, I, I just I was a different person yeah. then. I've now learned. Or is it better just to like stay quiet and like just then evolve what you say to your partner is you just say, okay, so these are the conversations that have to happen outside the bedroom. Mm-hmm. You don't want to have them in the bedroom. You don't want to have it happen when you're like, hey, let, let's, let's just, you know, I love to encourage people and remind people to leave the bedroom for sleeping and for sex. But Actually, this, yes, is what, the three T's? The three T's of communication. Yeah. Have we talked, timing, tone, Please, and turf. Yeah. So these are the three T's, timing, tone, and turf. Just remember this when you want to have your conversations about sex. You want to do it at the right time when you are not, remember this, halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. If you are any one of those states, that is not the time to have a conversation about just a charged subject like your sex life. So when you are feeling really good and connected to your partner and you're chilling, you're hanging out, you're going to a movie, you're going for a walk, those are when you want to have, this is when you want to have these conversations. The other, the other time is the tone. The tone is open, curious, confident, and it's light and it's supportive. And it's saying, you know what, babe? I realize that we haven't talked about our sex life before, but I really want to be a great lover to you. I really want to figure out ways that we can be the most supportive together. So, and then you're, and then we can get back to how to do this using the orgasm conversation. And the turf is outside the bedroom. It can be when you are, what I love to tell people is when you're going for a walk, because this way you're walking, it's intimate, but you don't have to make eye contact. Or the best thing is when you're in a car driving, because that way you're like literally to make eye contact, but you know that you're safe. No one can hear your conversation. You're driving along. You're like, so on a road trip. So let's talk about our sex life. That's, those are like, just, that's like, that's where we start. So you're having this conversation. You're saying, listen, I've been learning a lot about intimacy lately and sex. I came from a place where I didn't learn a lot about my body. I didn't really understand my orgasms or pleasure or masturbation or any of that. And I was listening to women of impact, Lisa Bilyeu, and 
Emily Morris from Sex with Emily. We were there, we're talking about this, and I'd actually never heard this conversation before. And I realized that I've been really invested in our relationship and I really want to make you feel good. And I love, this is when you also can use one of my tips, which is the compliment sandwich. We can go into another tactic and you, this is where you start by telling something that you really love about your sex life, because this is going to come as a big surprise to your partner. So you say, and I was thinking about our sex life and all the things I love about it. I love how we make out. I love how you slowly kiss me. I love that you're always down to please me. And that's the first part of the bread. And then there's the meat. The meat is when you're giving some constructive feedback and, and you're perhaps you're letting them know that you, you say, you know what? I, what I learned is that when we're together, I have a lot of enthusiasm. A lot of times it seems like I am orgasming and I've been trying really, really hard to figure out my own body, what makes me feel good. But I had a lot of shame around the fact that I didn't know how to orgasm and I was not being honest with you. I was faking my pleasure. I've been doing it forever, not just with you. I'm going to assume people do it with all their lovers. And this has nothing to do with you or your penis or anything. It has to do with my own misinformation, not valuing my pleasure, not valuing my body. And then you end that last piece of bread is where we wrap it up. And you're like, and I really hope that we could start to slow down and learn my body together. Because I know when I start having genuine, real, orgasmic pleasure that our sex life is really going to go to the next level and I could be even better lover to you and you can be a better lover to me. So would you be willing to take some time to learn and explore it together? That's how you do it. Dude, that mean, was so wonderful. I, it's hard. It's a tough one, right? Yeah. And you, yeah, I mean, you're probably like, what do you mean? What do you mean? But like, if you understand that the cards are stacked against women, nobody's teaching us how to orgasm. We're watching porn and the women are screaming pleasure when the penis is going inside. And I'm sitting there going like, he's nowhere near her clitoris. There's no <laughs> way she's having pleasure. What the hell is going on? We're told it's supposed to happen in five minutes. Like everything. So I, I just hope that if you are nervous about this and you do feel shame, that the world has not been on your side. Like it's not like all of your other friends are orgasming like crazy. They're not. They're probably faking it too. So having compassion for yourself and having a partner that's really like down to try, it doesn't mean that you, you can remind them. It doesn't mean that I wasn't enjoying our sex life. Mm -hmm. Remember, it just means that I haven't taken the time to explore. And this is why I also love mutual masturbation. Mutual masturbation is like one of my top tips for people in a relationship. No matter what the stage of your relationship, you don't have to be together 20 years to, to, to do this. I mean, people think, oh God, that's so intimate. Well, once we've cleared, and if you didn't hear this part, rewind, but we talked about masturbation being healthy, a healthy part of your, your sexual health. Assume that you, you know, do masturbate. You've gotten there to say to your partner, would you be down with the two of us can masturbate side by side? Because this way you're not only, it's a kind of a twofer. You're learning your own body, what feels good. You're seeing what your partner's doing. You're like, oh, like that, first off, it's you're, you're learning what they do. Like, I didn't know that you took your hand and you put up over your penis or you cup your balls. Like maybe next time I'm with your penis, I'll do the same thing. Or with your vagina, like we're learning what they actually do. And it's also really hot. 
it's hard to see your partner in ecstasy and pleasure and pleasing themselves. And it's kind of a threefer because then you know you're going to have an orgasm. Mm-hmm. You know you're going to have pleasure. I love but a threefer. Yeah, the threefer. Who doesn't love a threefer, right? <laughs> and what I love also in everything you explain it, if you've had multiple partners, I'm just going to say it for myself, I just assumed all guys were the same. Like when I first started having sex with my first boyfriend, I thought, oh, okay, this is what he likes. So I just took that and onto my second person that I slept with because I was like, oh, this is, must be what guys like. And sometimes it's like the complete opposite. Yes. And so understanding and having that like open communication with that like uh, mutual masturbation, I think is wonderful because you can actually just see for yourself what they like specifically. Exactly. That's it. That's how you're going to learn. That's how you're going to learn. Everyone's different. Everyone's partner's different. I remember one time I was the guy and he was like, didn't like his balls touched. So for years I didn't touch any balls. And then oh. I was like, okay. But then what some guy was, I do like it. I'm like, great. Like I cannot make assumptions, but that's why the most important thing is to go slow. Every time you're with a part with a partner, you have the opportunity to learn something new. It's a whole new body. They have different sets of nerve endings. They have different things are in different places. So you get to learn together. And I don't know about you, but again, I'm just going to speak for myself. I used to make it about me. So in fact, let's talk about a man getting hard, the soft Mm. penis. Yes. We always make it about us. We assume, especially women, we, well, I think men do this too, but let's talk about what women do. If he's not hard, I must not be attractive, right? Um, if he's not going down to me, it must mean that I smell or there's something wrong with me. Um, if he's not initiating, he always initiates, but now he's not initiating. What did I do wrong? We immediately make it about ourselves. And especially when it comes to something about sex, well, I think most things actually, it's not about us. It's usually about the other person. With actually most things in life, that's a great lesson. Like it's not, Unless you get get curious, ask questions, find out, have these conversations. But we do ourselves such a disservice when we make these assumptions that there's something wrong with us. And then we're just blocking ourselves off from pleasure. We're blocking ourselves off from having the best sex that we can have. So yeah, we are totally making assumptions. And then you just say like, hey, like I actually had a boyfriend that I had this relationship with him. And I said to him about the same thing about oral sex. We've been together for about a year and at the beginning he used to go down to me all the time and then he stopped. And I knew that oral sex was a really important source of my arousal. It was like a requirement for me. Like I wanted oral sex. I liked oral sex. I had just started doing this career. I was learning to ask for what I want. So I said to him, I said, what is it? I actually asked him, I said, is that you don't know what I want? Because I can tell you, is that you think I don't want it or is it just not your thing? And he's like, "Mm, it's just not my thing. I was like, Okay, well, then you're not my thing. Now, listen, the truth of the matter is it might not have been his thing because maybe he had a bad experience with an ex and maybe she didn't like it or maybe she maybe something happened and she told him he was bad at it Mm. and he internalized it as Mm. it's not my thing. Or maybe he was with somebody like, let's be honest, sometimes there is an odor with somebody. And usually if there is, it's because she might have an untreated SDI. A lot of times women have an odor. They might have bacterial vaginosis and they just can't smell it. They don't know it. You can't, it's really hard to get rid of it sometimes. And that just comes from different things. It can come from sex with a new partner. We can have different infections that can lead to an odor that we might not be aware of. So maybe there was a, an experience that just wasn't great and they didn't really know how to handle it. So as a way, he's internalized oral sex is something that wasn't his thing. So if that happens to you, if someone's not going down on you, I encourage you to have conversations about anything. Do not make assumptions that it's about you. You could ask them. Maybe they'll say to you, I didn't think that you liked it or had a bad experience once. Or maybe they'll say to you, 
yeah, maybe there is an odor. Maybe you should get checked by your doctor because in the past you have been smelled this way, but something has shifted and I really care about you and your health. So please go get checked out by a doctor. Now, I know people think they're going to roll over and die. That would be the worst thing ever. But the truth is, if your partner's telling you that, it's because they care about you, they want to please you, and they want you to be sexually healthy. But most of the time, especially with sex, we make all the assumptions. It's about me. I'm a bad lover. My penis is too soft. You know, and again, we assume if they're not hard, that we're not hot. Like, oh my God, he's not hard. Clearly, I'm not attractive to him anymore. Clearly, my blowjob wasn't good enough. Clearly, and I'm telling you, it could be further from the case. Most of what's happening during sex or not happening during sex has to do with our own mind, our own insecurities. We cock block ourselves. Like, we orgasm block ourselves more than somebody else. We're worried we're not going to come. We're worried we're not going to stay hard. And as a result of that, we don't. So, and that's because we're not talking about it. If we could say to someone, hey, babe, tonight, or if you're going down to me, here's what I actually need. Thanks for that. Like, let me show you what I need. I need you to go a little bit softer, a little bit slower. You know, maybe, you know, and maybe if my neck hurts and I'm the one who's giving, I can get into another position. You know, like we have to just give each other permission to, that sex isn't so linear. That it doesn't, we can stop and start and we can talk about things and we can adjust and we can like make it more comfortable. If we went to a movie theater with a partner and we didn't like the popcorn or we didn't like our seats or we were uncomfortable, we would move it around. We would make adjustments. If we went to a restaurant and the meal came, we didn't like it, we would send back our steak. But in sex, we're just accepting everything mm-hmm. that it comes in because we're so afraid of talking about it that we silently suffer through really disappointing experiences and not getting our needs mm-hmm. met. 